Smart Council is a joint production of Multnomah University, Alternative Behavioral Therapy, and New Pattern Counseling. Welcome to this week's episode of Smart Council, uh, setting boundaries for clients. Uh, Smart Council is a podcast dedicated to providing resources for providers and students on spirituality, mental health, addictions, relationships, and trauma. I'm Reese Bissimio. Joining me as always is Joshua Moore. Hello. How are you, Josh? Pretty good. Good. And once again, we have special guest Katie Ledbury. How are you doing, Katie? Excellent. Good. Glad to see you here. Mm-hmm. Uh, topic on the table is uh, setting boundaries for clients, or we could say setting limits for clients. And so a client maybe doesn't have the best attendance record and mm-hmm. might say, so do we, what kind of limit do we set there? So we might find a few categories of private practice, uh, outpatient, inpatient. Yes. And those those might have different answers. Absolutely. Okay. Yes, they would. <laughs> so so maybe so maybe let's let's tackle let's tackle attendance because that's a little bit more neutral. Um, what's been, what have been some of your experiences um, working with attendants and clients and limits and expectations? Uh, so I think early on you can identify probably clients that are high risk for attendance issues. Um, you might be thinking uh, as well as I'm thinking about the husband who comes in because their wife has them come in or the teenager who comes in because their parents make them come in mm-hmm. or uh, some other combination like that where uh, they might be there quote-unquote willingly but but maybe not completely through the whole stages of change mm-hmm. uh, on their own volition. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, so it can be to some degree predicted. I would assume you'd all agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, predictable. Yeah. Usually. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, giving Byron the credit uh, for, I guess we should call it front loading, you can try to reduce problems <laughs> in your intake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Do so. What okay. sort of intake? Well, I want you guys to jump in and share it, too. Oh, okay. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but in, what we do in our intake is we, we talk about boundaries on attendance and when they're going to be charged, how that is going to occur, and what happens if they aren't current on the payments. Mm-hmm. And we make those decisions, or those decisions are made in policy before mm-hmm. and are addressed as early as possible. And if you have a good gut feeling and you have experience, you'll probably know which clients need which types of boundaries to be more thoroughly discussed uh, rather than just having, you know, a quick overview of your informed consent. So you're saying, so you do more than just a thorough informed consent that's supposed to talk specifically about uh, attendance expectations? Correct. Okay. So but you could, you know, as I said, you some things on your informed consent you might blow through quickly because it just doesn't feel like it applies. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas other form, you might need to like give examples and, mm. and, um, uh, and, and, and spend a little bit more time with something like attendance. Mm-hmm. Let's say your client is a teenager who drives themselves and this wasn't really their idea, um, they're willing to go, uh, but you can sense some hesitation and you expect that you're going to be spending a lot of time building rapport. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, at that time, we would, I would spend a lot of time on that intake talking about attendance, talking about um, you know, even discussing, okay, so we, we bill your parent this way. Um, usually the parents are notified when there's a no-show. How do we want to handle that? And uh, this is the policy. 
what are your expectations? These are my expectations. And usually do the collaborative model, but, but the outcome's always the same, and that is parent has to know when a session's missed mm -hmm. and they'll be notified this way through this medium. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So a stronger emphasis on well that takes place within the informed consent moment. Mm -hmm. Uh when you're outlining here's all the expectations and mm -hmm. all the all the reasons and ins and outs. But uh, especially with a teen or with the pre contemplative claim, mm -hmm. it sounds like you take a much uh, take a very collaborative approach to uh, I, I, I think anything I'd like my clients to think it was their idea. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> nice anything, thing. even if it's already written down somewhere. Yeah. I'd like I'd like it to I'd like them to think it was their idea because they'll have a lot more ownership of it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Letting them think, letting them discover that, that it's their idea, or even just discovering that they have options. Mm -hmm. That sounds like it would be really empowering. Yeah, and it's maybe an unrelated note, but even though it's like written down in front of them and they can read it, and maybe we did read it, I still like to. To brainstorm with them on how to handle it mm -hmm. um, because the more they feel involved in the process even just deciding what medium the parent is notified in and how they're told and what words are used letting them choose those and troubleshoot that with me creates more ownership of it and and therefore um, I think it leads to less problems yeah mm -hmm. yeah sounds like a great idea Katie what about you yeah so I think like you said earlier there's there's different dynamics mm -hmm. based on location. So mm -hmm. definitely when I was in community mental health, there was a policy. And so at each place that I worked, it was a different policy. But the one that I liked the most for that setting was if you had three no-shows, then a certain letter would go out. And there was mm -hmm. kind of like, there were steps kind of in place and mm -hmm. so I've taken that with me into private practice um, we do have a policy at our group practice as far as what we charge for no-shows and late cancels and all of those type of things um, but on top of that we do work with family care and we're not allowed to charge a no-show fee mm. or a late cancel fee and so with those clients they also happen to be the ones who are higher risk of not showing up mm -hmm. so yeah. it's yeah. highly inconvenient but we automatically do a like a contract an attendance contract is what we call it and we we created that in place of a fee because it gives us that opportunity to have that bigger conversation yeah. and most of them are like no i totally understand you won't be able to eat unless you unless we show up blah 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 mm -hmm. and they get that but then they tend to be the ones who cancel last minute right. more frequently and so by doing the attendance contract right away it tends to give more of a collaborative yeah. process to it and a little bit more ownership. <laughs> yeah it definitely works a lot better um and clarifying like our with with clients who do pay clarifying like our no-show rate is actually a higher rate than likely what your copay is and so mm -hmm. having that conversation of what are you willing to pay out in order to not be present that day mm -hmm. and wouldn't it be easier to pay me less to actually show up and be here mm -hmm. um, I think the hard part are the clients that um, they don't show up because of their symptom presentation. So yeah, people yeah. who are agoraphobic or super, super depressed and could not literally get themselves out of bed that day mm -hmm. or in crazy panic mode in the car. And so what does it look like? And are there options of, okay, well, what does phone conversation look like? And doing the front loading with them of like, okay, so this is our fee for a phone conversation. Your insurance may not cover it. What does that look like? So that way they have options before 
they even call you to cancel. Because um, if you can utilize that time to not only get paid, which is great, but also to help them, mm -hmm. then it's worth having those options ahead of time for the people who you kind of think might be mm -hmm. more of a risk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that sounds like you have some, some more detailed policies, procedures in place that again, have that kind of collaborative aspect, that contractual aspect mm -hmm. to it. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. So I think, I think Katie, a lot of your experience uh, sounds more familiar to, to me because I haven't done uh, true private practice very long yet, but I did work in community mental health for a while. And yeah, so was, you know, we, we were contracted with OHP, Family Care Health Share. And so, you know, folks in that population are often prone to having more chaos in their lives. Mm -hmm. So agoraphobia, panic, depression, homelessness, um, mm -hmm. a whole bunch of factors that would just make showing up difficult, um, mm -hmm. along with, you know, low motivation, I don't want to be here. Um, and I'm trying to remember if we actually had a specific policy around like if you miss like one or two or more appointments mm -hmm. um, or if it was that clearly defined I think we were taking a more case-by-case case, which I kind of like for the individualized yeah. notion but then it, it also left me being you know pre-licensed intern state intern feeling kind of confused a lot of time being like what do I do mm -hmm. um, but, it, but it was it was hard and here's where I think the, the conundrum is is like you recognize here's a client who um, is going to have more difficulties and like you said Josh you can recognize that a lot and you can be aware of here's some factors ahead of time that are going to make it difficult for you and we can still go through that collaboration that contract that informed consent that front-loading uh, and then it still comes down to you're missing two out of three appointments uh, mm -hmm. and then showing a plate for the third one um, and on a, you know you're taking that time up in my schedule I like you, you're cool, you're charming, you're motivated, I want you to do well, but you're not showing up. How long do I hold space in my schedule for you? How long do I hold that emotional space for you? Um, at that point, what do you, what do you think? That one's always so tough because it is, yeah. I, I think, so case by case that it is really, really difficult. And I am guilty of holding space for people for too long and being the person who pushes the limit of my own policies yeah. um, because of that part of like, but I want you to have services and I want you to do well. And so what does it look like in those conversations? Definitely over the years, I've gotten firmer with that and have like, the nice thing is that if I give somebody a spot that is rotating, um, not only do I say to them, like, these are cherished. So if mm -hmm. you want a weekly slot, like, mm -hmm. you got to show up. And so that's another front-loading mm -hmm. technique that I'll use and other people have used in our practice just because there is a dynamic of, like, once I'm full, it's real hard to get in. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's, that's a pre-conversation. And then when they do a no-show or a late cancel then automatically like we have a pre-conversation of like okay but I can't hold next week for you if you're not going to actually show up and usually I'll give them like a okay next week we'll do that and it's fine but if it's two times in a row or even just frequently then I'll explain to them again I can't keep holding this spot for you because there are a lot of people who are waiting to get in and I'd rather have somebody show up than just be twiddling my thumbs at that point um 
And so again, just having that like conversation as well as like collaborating and going back to like, okay, what's the barrier? What's actually going on for you? Is it like, is it a fear-based thing? Is it that your symptoms are so severe that you can't get here? What's kind of happening? But sometimes people don't even want to engage in that conversation. And so it does come down to a boundary of like, okay, well, I'm not going to hold a regular spot for you, but you can go on my wait list if I'm at a point with a wait list or we'll go week by week and see Mm -hmm. where it lands scheduling wise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your starting point is I want to be merciful, compassionate, Mm -hmm. you know, work with a client. Let's still recognize that I do have clients waiting. I'm a very popular therapist. People like me. People want me. (laughs) want to see me. So I would like to eat all of the humble statements. Yes. All those humble statements. Uh, So here's where we get to be a bit proud. Um, Mm. I'm thinking about um, how I've been doing it, um, or how I was doing it at my, my most recent job, where um, it was uh, it was a for-profit agency. Mm-hmm. So we worked with different insurances, and we were able to charge for no-shows. Um, kind of the you know the, the the company policy is you can charge for a no-show for any of the private insurances. Mm-hmm. I sort of modified that to be well, I'll give everybody like the first one free or like if we be somewhere, which sort of then turns into, well, if you don't show up, but if I get a hold of you on the phone and you have like a good excuse, good story, um, and that's where I'm turning into my sort of uh, enabling code of the <laughs> yep. like, You know, uh, I'm, I'm an easy sell that way. Um, but what I, what I have done though is, you know, again, recognizing, you know, my time is important, I have people waiting, um, you know, you miss one, maybe I'll let that slide, you miss two, okay, let's have a conversation, but I might let you stay in my schedule, um, you know, you start missing like three or four, and that's where I say, okay, I won't close you, and you won't be on bad terms with me, but I'm going to take you off my schedule completely, and then you have to make contact with me, do something, something extravagant to, like, get back on, mm-hmm. um, one idea that someone ran by me, and I never was able to uh, fully play with this, was to have like a designated drop an hour, or like your last hour of the day, or like sometime an hour in the middle of the day where like you don't schedule things, but if somebody really wants to like try to drop in, make contact for fifteen minutes, something billable, uh, mm-hmm. that could be an option. Yeah, I, I find uh, like that that was very appealing until I realized that my end of the day times were by far the most popular. Uh, (laughs) It was like, no, my 4.30s or 5.30s were just impossible Mm -hmm. to give up. But that would be a a nice convenient way of putting somebody uh, in a slot where it was lower risk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm not sure that really solves the problem. It it almost feels like a probationary slot, which maybe that would be effective, except that I know I could use that time. Yeah. I am Mm -hmm. certain I could use that time. Right. You know? (laughs) Yeah. And and those are the factors that we run into is, you know, Mm -hmm. when is your last hour of the day, you know, 430, you could easily fill that with a regular client Mm -hmm. a lot of times. There's usually people waiting in line for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I have done in my enabling ways, uh, (laughs) done the, well, if you can get in before the end of the week, then I won't charge you the no-show because it's more of a reschedule at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, the hard part is that if it is the end of the week, then you're kind of jipping those people yeah. who right. are the regular Friday people. Um, so that one's been the conundrum and, of like, how uh, frequently do we use that? played with it enough yet, but um, the, the more exceptions you make, yeah. and oh, yeah, uh, let's, say, let's say all of a sudden we don't charge if they're sick. Well, right. now they're always sick. Uh-huh. Um, you know, as, <laughs> just, you know, and, and, and it's kind of one of those, those statistics things. We, mm-hmm. 
we don't really know that anybody's lying at any given time. Yeah. But statistically, people are more sick <laughs> if you don't charge <laughs> right. yeah. for sick days. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Um, yeah. And then I'm not sure that that is, you know, teaching uh, or addressing the mm-hmm. right things. I'm not yeah. sure if that is teaching good boundaries or if that's just mm-hmm. appealing to maladaptive coping skills mm-hmm. that are, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the fine line that I always balance on is the, when am I helping and when am I not setting a boundary because I want to be helpful and then it's not strict enough because the policy is that we charge. And so right. having that dance is very admittedly difficult for yeah. me. It's a difficult dance. Mm-hmm. I think this discussion is where therapists usually get together and talk about their personal dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Let's just open that up. <laughs> right. And, I, and I, if I were to throw us all under the bus, uh, because mm-hmm. there are probably therapists listening, uh-huh. um, that, you know, if you if you had a great childhood, you don't go, hmm, I'd like to make, you know, thirty dollars to $40,000 a year uh, with a master's degree. Um, that sounds like that sounds like a great career. Now we, we got into it for different reasons, and usually those reasons relate to our own personal uh, unhealthy or trauma, you know, journey. And so we're always working out like, why do you want to help people? Mm-hmm. Um, are your motives uh, so altruistic? Are you are you so great, or or are you a little codependent? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. I hope that's so true. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, that's it's real. Yeah. <laughs> so we're all vulnerable here, and and and, um, and we do have to sometimes follow really strict policies, mm-hmm. and that if we go by our feelings. Mm-hmm. It's it's going to be a disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do make less money than we're supposed to make because mm-hmm. we do make exceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, when we make exceptions, are those for our feelings or are those for our clients' long-term mm-hmm. health? That's true. Um, it's hard to answer that question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm also thinking thinking in terms of uh, parenting a little bit, because mm-hmm. we've all talked about parenting a little bit, uh, and I'm reading a parenting book now. Not that we, of course, we don't take a parental relationship with our clients, that's a different thing. However, you know, a a healthy parent would love their children by setting limits, you know, and they set appropriate realistic limits, and the limits are an aspect of that love. With our clients, our therapeutic care comes with limits. We we show therapeutic love and doing reality years through the medium of limits and expectations. So... As I'm listening to you, Josh, I'm, I'm learning and reflecting on my own self and, and seeing how a value for me to aspire to would be to you know, recognize, yeah, I have, I have a policy, I have a budget to keep, um, and holding, holding a limit um, would be inviting the clients to, to, write, to rise to an expectation and to take seriously, cherish you know, the therapeutic process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and you don't do that absolutely because there's, there are other special cases. Um, but, but yeah, if in general I say, yeah, you show up or, or you don't, or I charge you for, I charge you if you don't show up or you show up. Um, and if you are really consistent with that, I, I'm thinking that what that would do is that would create this culture in your own self and around you of, mm-hmm. Hey, I take this seriously. I want you to also, mm-hmm. and that could be a good thing for clients to grow into. Yeah. And the boundaries that you hold, um, you also hold yourself to. Mm-hmm. I don't reschedule or cancel my clients without a 24-hour notice. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about statistics with being sick, but if I'm sick and I have to cancel at the last minute, I don't offer them compensation for that free time or, or otherwise. Uh, but I also do, in fact, let them call out sick and I don't charge them. Yeah. Of course, they're going to do that 
more often, um, and that's that's a that's an escape route for them, and and that's that's unfortunate. And I'm sure there are other people listening who might have uh, better perspectives on that. Um, but that the boundary does reflect back on you, and and that is to some degree your alibi. Um, you know, these are your limits, but those are also my limits. Mm-hmm. Like you have that guarantee from me as well. 24 hours before your appointment. I'm not going to call you and reschedule you or change it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you that time, that time is unavailable. Mm-hmm. And um, does that make sense? No. Yeah. So, it does. so mm-hmm. it, it's mutual. It's, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. Yeah, both sides. Both yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So that's part of practice. That's part of practice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And like we like we like you and me, Katie, reflect on it's it's a whole different ballgame with community mental health mm-hmm. because we don't get to set the policies. Yeah. And oftentimes there there's just more moving pieces, more agencies, more agendas, and it's it's a lot more messy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and granted too, the the demographic oftentimes it is different. Um, mm-hmm. Private practice, especially like a cash pay private practice, is going to draw folks who can afford to pay private practice and they can do that for a reason mm-hmm. whereas you know people go to a clinic because they can't afford private insurance and mm-hmm. there's that for a reason so you know again recognizing the population we work with um i think you could be you could be more steadfast in, in a strict policy in, in in a private practice whereas in a community mental health setting you have to be a lot more creative case by case mm-hmm. and say, can we do more to help this client and just hold them accountable to a standard and keeping them off our schedule? Mm-hmm. Or can we do interesting outreach mm-hmm. or something interpersonal or incentivize it in some way? Yeah. Um, and I would imagine that, uh, well, I'm thinking about my time working in rehab, which is more of a residential setting. Attendance is different when they live there, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. But, yeah. but it's still an okay. issue. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's still because they, they could choose not to go. Yeah. They could choose to stay in their room, um, or or other things like that. Um, and that I think when you're talking about community mental health and you're talking about residential settings, there's still a conversation, mm-hmm. um, and that might be different. It is. It was different for me in residential setting as it is for my private practice. I don't have the same conversations in the same way, um, and so that's going to change. Uh, there's probably too many variables to discuss that thoroughly here, but, yeah. <laughs> but maybe some of you have some experiences. Mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did work residential for a year, okay. and I did notice that. Um, I, I tried mm-hmm. a couple groups, and um, and yeah, they were they were kind of poorly attended. Mm-hmm. Uh, this population was more SBMI, so preferring to hide away in the rooms most mm-hmm. of them anyway. Um, SBMI, what is that? So severely and persistently mentally ill. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So like the like the psychotic disorders, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yeah. So handling that conversation would probably very very different than a private practice. Yes. Yeah. Because again, you're right. They live there, so you'd think that hey, it would be easy to come downstairs. But then there's a whole bunch more internal stimuli for them to work through, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of other factors. I would say no, they they. they really see themselves as more safe in, in their room by okay. themselves. At that point, you're dealing with dialectics. Is that true? Possibly. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <That's okay. laughs> yeah, I feel like groups were actually still really, really difficult for attendance in community mental health as well. I had much better attendance with just, like, individual sessions or even family sessions than with group sessions, and I think that's partially because groups are vulnerable in a different way um, than individual and even family is. But 
there was also a dynamic of a lot of groups that I did were in high school setting. And so sometimes kids would be like, sweet, I get out of class, I'll come. And then other times they'd be like, but I really like this class. So they wouldn't want to miss that specific period or whatever else mm -hmm. it was. Um, which then makes it difficult to have a conversation with kids that you can't even get them out of class to come and see you mm -hmm. to have a collaborative conversation of what attendance mm -hmm. looks like. Yeah. Um, definitely the front loading piece in, and I think in a group setting, there's always that first initial conversation of what are our rules and expectations and them kind of creating that themselves. And so incorporating attendance into that to the best of your ability, I think can be really helpful in that, in that setting as much as possible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, school settings. I, I tried that for a few months and mm -hmm. um, it never got as far as doing groups. But um, yeah, schools are a whole different. It's a different ball game. Very different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, a lot of the settings where we actually have attendance, having the expectation that if there is a missed session, that will be, you know, a, a, the first topic. Does that make sense? Of the next yeah. session? Yeah, of the next yes. session. Um, they walk in the door and neurologically, they're, they're thinking about it. It's the active topic in their head. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, then use that uh, again. Mm -hmm. If they know it's the first topic when they get back, usually mm -hmm. they gives you something to learn from. And it does provide some sort of boundary, you know, uh, I don't yeah. Know, out here. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, to, to take to take another um, Byronism, we'll yeah. call it uh, the, uh, the NOLO, the naturally occurring learning opportunity. Yeah. Yes. Uh, exactly. If you missed a session. Tell me about that. What was going on for you? You know, have a conversation. Exactly. And I, and I like them to know maybe from the informed consent or maybe from a phone call that that we do talk about these things when you get back. You know, this is this is part of the next session. It's mm -hmm. it's the the NOLO, the naturally occurring learning opportunity mm -hmm. um, comes from the missed session. Mm -hmm. So nothing's wasted. And that's another mm -hmm. Byronism, waste nothing. It's true, waste so. nothing. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, on that note, I will call it for this one. And uh, we will uh, wrap up this conversation about uh, setting this uh, specifically attendance boundaries with clients. I uh, hope it's been helpful and informative. Um, we will be back with more Smart Council. Please be sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. We love your feedback, and let's keep the conversation going. Follow Smart Council on Facebook at Smart Council Podcast, on Twitter at Smart Council 601, and you can email us your questions and comments and feedback at smartcouncilpodcast at gmail.com. Joshua Moore can be found on the web at neurofeedbackcare.com. And Reese Basimio can be found on the web at newpatterncounseling.com. Our theme music is by Nate Botsford. Our logo design is by Thomas Moore. This episode was mastered by Julie Patterson. Smart Council has been produced by Reese Basimio and Joshua Moore. Oh,